0: This podcast is brought to you by MetCloud. Get connected, cyber safe.
1: Hi everyone, thanks for joining me, and welcome to the Vanguard Podcast, where we speak to people who are innovating within their industry or at the forefront of reshaping themselves or their companies in this ever-changing world. Today's guest is Rob Scott, who is a technology executive and has led such a diverse life. Originally being an apprentice footballer for Manchester United doing modern pentathlon and fencing, and then becoming a Formula One test driver for Ferrari and also driving for Porsche and Honda. Recently, Rob successfully led eight startups, two restarts, one internally incubated venture, all two successful outcomes, as well as sitting on the board of a bank. And now Rob is CEO of cybersecurity company Sigilent, which is headquartered in the US. Rob, thanks so much for joining us on the Vanguard podcast this morning for you. My pleasure. The one thing that really, you know, when people listen to the introduction and so forth, you fitted so much in, uh, especially in those early days, you know, Manchester United apprenticeship, uh, modern pentathlon and fencing, and then going into the motor racing and so forth. So the background was all about sports, football, motor racing, you know, all that kind of thing.
0: And when when you started getting into, you know, adulthood and so forth, was sports where you wanted to go? Uh, wonderful question, and I think the answer immediately is yes. Um, coming from uh, Manchester in the in, in England, born there, um, I think I mentioned to many many people that there's two ways of getting on uh, at my, in, the, in those years. Uh, one is sport, or the other one is getting in, involved in academia. And I didn't get involved in academia, so my my first entree was with Manu, as as uh, you mentioned earlier. As an apprentice for a couple of years uh, in the background, obviously typical English sports like cricket, football, rugby, and then all of a sudden, the the, the uh, great mentor to me was a phys ed teacher who was a, a former Olympian uh, in fencing, and he got me into it. And that's from there. That's where my career as a as a as a young adult went. Uh, so I got him, I got a full scholarship to Loughborough University because of that and then fenced in uh, the Commonwealth Games because of him. And and the, the catalyst for that was a sport that's you don't really see that much now in the Olympics, but it's called modern pentathlon, which is five sports, fencing being one of them. And that really got me got me off and running. So I didn't live um, in the UK much after that. That was about 18. Uh, and went off and did other things, which I'm sure we'll talk about. I'm sure we will. I mean, um, one of the things
1: that, that- – resonates with me is the sporting background, you know, that's what brought me from Australia all the way over to the UK as a as a cricketer and, you know, I realised I wasn't good enough to take it any further but, um, you know, one of the things for me was that team, that culture, you know, working together as a team and being as one and so forth and yeah. I guess which... Which leads me into, as you said, the, the next part of the career, which was driving uh, professionally and becoming a Formula 1 test driver and driving for the likes of Ferrari and Porsche and Honda to name but a few. How did that come about? Because to me, that is a, a massive
0: pivot. Yeah. So it's one of those um, points in life when you know you got the phone call, and we all know those. I got the phone call. I was in Loughborough, and I got the phone call from a friend of a friend. And it's, again, I talk to my kids today. It's all in my in my whole career. It's always based on networking. And believe it or not, I was delivering cars, cleaning cars for Hertz uh, to make money uh, weekends. And the lady that ran the whole organization in Manchester, I got to know very well. And her fiance was a, a very wealthy jeweler and he would race cars and From there on, that's where this story goes. He he phoned me and said, there's an opportunity coming up that he he drove for Ferrari. And he said, there's an opportunity come up. If you're interested in dropping everything, getting paid next to nothing, I'll pay your expenses and get you to Ferrari. So it took about one nanosecond to make that decision. And off I went. Within a week, I had to clear everything out and moved to Italy. So that was the sort of start of it. Obviously, I'd raced uh, a Mini Cooper that I'd built previously to that on my own. I got involved in karting a little bit. So um, off off I went. And I think from there onwards, um, it was an opportunity of a lifetime. And it was because of somebody that actually took very, very ill, uh, another Formula test driver. And the gap opened up and I took it and never looked back. And people say to me, well, you know, why did you give up college? Well, I went back really to college after that, after many years during my time at uh, Motorola and and IBM. But those, those five years I was racing for a Ferrari and then two years for Porsche, you don't get the opportunity ever in a lifetime to work with, with very interesting people, a lot of celebrities, as you can imagine. And it was great. We, we did, I worked with Niki Lauda. Um, I was one of his test drivers. Uh, Clay Regazzoni was another one. And then, uh, for Porsche, it was uh, Derek Bell and Jackie X, uh, which were very, very famous, still around, very famous guys uh, that drove for Porsche.
1: Sure. it's. Um, I, I guess it's one of those times where I started getting interested in Formula 1 in Australia because of Alan Jones, of yeah, course, and, yeah. and um, it was during that era. It, there's probably two questions that come out of this. One is the networking side, which we'll, we'll probably touch on a little bit later because for me that was something important as well because, obviously, over here I played cricket. And just having a network to go out and get a job, I think I, I don't think people understand the importance of being able to hold a conversation and network these days like we used to. So I, I really, I really resonate with that. The second question in this, and it's probably something that I really want to know, and I'm sure the listeners do: is, did you ever meet Enzo in the cottage at Marinello? <laughs> no,
0: I'd love to. I wasn't that, I wasn't elevated to, to that level. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't. I. I finished up, ironically enough, when we'd won uh, two world championships. I actually did get a Ferrari, and it was a, a three hundred eight GTB, a second hand one that they gave me. Uh, and and I still have all I've got from it is a steering wheel. I still have it in my office from that car. But uh, no, I didn't meet him. But I mean, obviously, you can imagine uh, the days of if you watch a movie called Rush. That was the, that was that era. It was James Hunt, and it was um it was fantastic. It really was. That era is probably something that, that we've lost now because
1: everything, I mean, people talk about safety and innovation. I mean, there's no more innovative organization than a Formula One team and no more innovative industry than the motorsport, in my opinion. Obviously, there's medical and, and, and our industry technology, but the innovation that goes on in a Formula One team, did you get a hint of that back then?
0: And has that stayed in the back of your mind? Yeah, it stayed a lot because you can imagine, uh, as we talk further on about my career, a lot of innovation came out that actually fits inside a race car now. And, and one of them was Wi-Fi and uh, Bluetooth and all those sort of things. But at that time, it was you know think about it—you had to you, you actually had a clutch, you had to change gear. Nowadays, look what you've got with a, with a race car or any other car for that matter, any production car, a high performance car—you got paddles that was never even thought of on a steering wheel. So I, I think. Technology's come a hell of a long way for those cars and made them much much safer. But you just have to go back and think about what happened with with Nicky Lauder himself at the Nurburgring when he had that crash and and scrape scraped him off the wall basically. But again, the guts and the sportsmanship of those those drivers then he was back in a car within about eight weeks. It's just ridiculous. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. You, you're right. It, it's something that we
1: probably don't appreciate, or certainly I do because I guess I'm at that age where technology started going into cars, you know, electric windows and and all those type of things. But a lot of people that, that may be listening to this don't understand the, you know, the conception of carbon fiber and all those things were coming through at that time and ground effect and all those type of things. But we could talk about motor racing for hours, as I'm sure we probably will do at some point. But I guess what was another pivot in your life was the global oil crisis. Racing stopped. So that meant that, Either you're out of a job or you had to delay the motor racing career or something. What happened there? And how did you find yourself in that IBM sales program? And give us a talk of how that
0: eventuated and what happened there. Sure. So the Suez Canal crisis hit when they had to uh, shut down racing in general, because at that point, I've never seen it since, but they gave you a ration book to go and get petrol. And I'd love to have kept all of of that. That, I mean, there's no way the racing was going to happen, so I had to make a decision I had to get a job. So I was looking through a famous newspaper called the Manchester Evening News. And I was looking at jobs. And this IBM job was available. It was a sales guy, sales position. I applied for it. And there must have been, I think, six jobs or 10 jobs. And uh, you can imagine how many people applied for it. Anyway, I got through the first level of it. And then were asked to physically go for an interview. And, and again, ironically... And I talk about fate a lot in my life. And it was the guy that was interviewing me he was potentially going to be my boss, who was a fanatical motor, motor racing fan. And all we talked about for literally two hours was motor racing. And the next day, I got a, a call to go back and see the HR people. And I, I didn't realize at that point there were 350 people applied for six to 10 jobs. And I got it. And, and that was sort of the, the career in technology started. And a career in computerization and selling really started. And what better company to do it than IBM? Absolutely. And where was that, Rob? That was actually in Manchester when I was living in Manchester. I finished up moving south for that, for that period of the three years. And then from there, um, well, from there, I actually went to Motorola and did my, uh, my next stint with Motorola in management and did all the management training courses with Motorola as well. Fantastic. During the conversation, and we've been going now for about 10 minutes or so, but during the conversation
1: that's twice come up where you've mentioned earlier on your PE teacher was your mentor, Mm. you also then mentioned, you know, how your first manager was an F1 fan and, you know, you got on well with him and I I would assume that he was a bit of a mentor as you were going on. I've had that same scenario with the mentor, someone we both know, Gary Mead, um, who saw me in my early sales career and said, this guy's got something I'm going to, I'm going to challenge him and I'm going to take him further in his career. And, you know, I speak to Gary still every month and he guides me and mentors me and either whacks me over the head or says, well done or whatever. Is that something that you enjoy doing? And is that something that you do in those, those companies you join or with individuals that you nurture within your, your career now? Is that something you really enjoy doing? Yeah,
0: I think sort of mentorship program, you can't really, it's not official, but you do it instinctively. So yeah, the guy at IBM was one. And then then a very, very close friend of both Gary and I at Motorola was a guy called John Richardson, who's no longer with us. And John mentored me right through my whole uh, sales management career through Motorola. And we kept very close over the years from all the different positions I had. And I, I needed a sounding board. We all do. And it's not, it's a sounding board in business. It's also a sounding board in life, because uh, I lost my father quite early in life, uh, in his life at fifty six. So you do need that sounding board, and I, and I do it to this day. I offer people around me, whether it's when I'm on boards of companies, people can reach out, and and um, I, I love doing that. And we and again, we all need it. We do it to our own kids. But we also do it to their friends as well. I get I get calls all the time from my kids' uh, good friends all over the world. I mean, I've got three. Don't forget, I've got three kids that live in Sydney, and um, their buddies are all still friends with me. And we all talk about sport. We talk about life, and they've all got kids of their own now. I mean, it's it, it's uh, an evolution, and and I think it's a great thing. It keeps keeps me motivated as well to learn what they're going through.
1: That, that's a really good point. Do you think, as the eras have changed and as we've changed in our, you know, as we've got older and so forth, has anything changed in that
0: mentoring or are the principles still the same? I think the principles are exactly the same. I think it's just the parameters that have changed and, and how fast life is and things change so quickly now and how we have to adapt to that. And I think a big one is technology. Look how much technology has changed in, since 2000. Uh, I'll go into a little bit of that. And, and that was. A company I founded in 1998 with a good friend of mine. Well, at that point, if you wanted a conference call like Zoom, you had to go through an ATT or an MCI operator to pull you into an audio call. Look at what we've got today with Zoom and Teams and Webex. I mean, it's come so far, so fast. But that that company was the first innovator of audio conferencing to do a reservationless conference call when you put in uh, like an 800 number in and a PIN code, that was our product. And today that is still being used.
1: I, I think it's amazing when I speak to my 80-year-old father now who has no technology requirement or, or whatever, and he says, oh, yeah, what, do you just get on Zoom? Yeah. You know, for someone to understand what that is now at 80 years old is, is amazing. I, I love about the mentorship, and by the way, I've now got your email address, so you're stuck with me for good now. Very right, good. It's something that I'm I'm starting to do as I, I guess I get older and, and go up the career chain as well. Is I really get a buzz out of seeing the people that I'm either helping or mentoring or or even just being a sounding board, like you said, see them succeed is almost as as pleasurable in their success as what it was for me. And now I can see why you get that with when you go into the organisations. Why Gary got that when he took me aside, you know, when we were all back in the in the Spectralink days and. Yeah. Um, so I get that, and and hopefully I can I can pass that on to my children like you have with your kids in Sydney and so forth. So I, I love talking about that. Thanks for sharing that.
0: NetCloud, get connected, cyber safe is our mantra. From tailored managed security solutions to our next generation cloud platform. MetCloud will drive your organization forward and help it thrive. You can keep up to date with us in all things cybersecurity by following us on Twitter at metcloud underscore com. We're also on LinkedIn and YouTube. You can find the links to our social media pages and blogs via our website, metcloud.com.
1: So coming from that sporting and team background, working with the team, do you think the secret of the success that you've had with those organizations that you've joined is down to that working as a team culture and allowing people within that team to thrive that you had you know, back in the Manchester United, Ferrari days?
0: Do you think that's a, that's a real catalyst of success you've had in those companies you've joined? I think it's a lot to do with that, but I also think it's, it's never forget how many failures do you have to have to get a success. And, and then how do you bounce back? How do you, I, mean, I talk about getting the scars of doing business and how you bounce back from those. And, and, and I've now been a CEO in nine companies, and I think that a lot of it comes to the fact that you never want to get to a stage where you've got to make payroll out of your own pocket. Now, there's not many people that I come across in, in executive management that can actually say they've had to do that. Thank God they haven't. But you, you certainly know that you never want to go back and do that. So I'd say there's 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 the the scars of doing business learn from those mistakes which will make you a stronger person going forward.
1: Yeah, I really like that. How often do you reflect on those successes and failures Rob? I mean we we all have them. A cricketer goes out makes three or four ducks and think that's the end of their career. You know, a motor racing driver may go out and take the front end off their their formula 1 car and may think right they're going to sack me now. How do you change your mindset? Is it as simple as just looking in the mirror and say, suck it up? Or is there a process
0: that you go through to say, I'm going to learn from that. I'm going to take that into the next stage. It's a great question. I think, yes, you do look in the mirror and say, suck it up. But also, you need to have some tangible evidence of that. So at IBM, what they said was, all your successes put into a book. And and at the time, it was like foils, if you remember those you put on a screen. Put a book together of all your successes and keep it going through your life. And I still have that now. So, when you're a European sales uh, manager and you become number one for Motorola, when you've got your first biggest deal uh, that that put you on the map, when you've got a photograph showing—I'll <laughs> never forget this—Gary and I talk about it now. At one point in Motorola, it was it was a day when there was a sales meeting and a kickoff meeting for the year, and they were talking about the top sales guys, and it was Gary and I. And then, and then the next thing is they roll in a, a Securacore van. And inside it is a million pounds, physically a million pounds. And they open the door up and show everybody this. And they said, that's what your goal should be to be able to earn a million. And this is 19, what, 1986. Wow. Right. A million pounds in commission. And it was an amazing uh, visual. I've never forgotten that. I've still got the photographs of it. And when I can find all this stuff, I show my kids some of this stuff to say, you've got to do the same thing. Remember. You may be down and out one day, but you used to be really good, and you can still be good going forward. Just condition your mind and get competitive.
1: I, I love that. I love that you know one of the things that i've I've noticed Rob in in the last let's say twelve months, you know certainly since the pandemic hit and we're all locked down and so forth, is how many experts there are. Um, and you know I love getting nuggets of information from various people in my life and and so forth. But there's only one person that's going to drive me forward.
0: Yeah. And that's me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, so I, I actually have something similar. Um, I was fortunate enough to play a game of cricket with my son, the first game of adult cricket with my son who's 13. I got to play this this year. And, you know, pandemic's been horrible for everyone and there's been so many negatives. But there's also so many positives that come out of it. I haven't had to get on a plane, so therefore I've spent so much time with my children. And so one of the things that I have is a picture of my son and I giving each other a high five after taking a wicket in the, in the, in the cricket. And every time that there's something that goes wrong or whatever, I look at that, or I look at a picture that I made a hundred or, you know, a success that we had at Spectralink or success we've had here, there and everywhere to say, you know what? Good things are only around the corner. It's great to hear that from you, you as well. You know, everyone hears the good stuff, but they don't hear the bad stuff. And there's a lot of bad stuff as well.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And that's part of the journey. It really is. And and I reflect that. My daughter, who's 24, actually lives in London now. And um, she's getting married in September uh, to a wonderful guy uh, who's also in sales as well. And, And what's interesting to me is you can see the journey that they're on in their career. She actually worked for a software company. And some of the questions that comes up, I know I've dealt with this so many times in so many companies. It's the same stuff. It's just how you deal with it, and and I banter backwards and forwards with them all the time. But like, why don't you just try this? And why don't you try that? Um, I've got grey hair for a reason. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm starting
1: to get that grey hair. By the way, uh, the, one of the things I want to ask you before we get, get into the quickfire, there's some quickfire questions I'd like to ask as well. And you know, the the podcast is all about inspiring innovation, or saying that pivots in your life or pivots in your career are actually a good thing, not a bad thing. And I guess we come to the next phase of your career, which is that technology career that you're in and, and joining those technology companies. You're now you're now with a cybersecurity company called Sigilant, based over there in, in the US, and you're opening offices globally. It was a company that you've joined, you know, and and said this is this has got tremendous
0: global growth. Tell us a little bit about Sigilant and, you know, the the, the journey you're going on with them. Great question. And I think I think the way I can answer that is sort of the path I've gone. So I've, I've started um, with with great people. I never started doing anything on my own, and you never do. Anybody that tells you that, they're kidding themselves. You have to have great people around you to do it. So I've started four, and I've turned four companies around in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years. And this is no like, no difference, this company I'm with now. I joined it two years ago, and and quite honestly, it was it was floundering. It really had no direction, or it had the wrong direction. And all I've done in each of these companies that I've been involved in the last four or five, when I've come in and turned them around, is use common sense, pull together a great management team that can actually execute and want to go into battle with you, and um, focus. Those are the three key things I I use. And it's it's been interesting to watch the people around you who believe in it, who believe in the same story. And some people don't, and they don't last very long they decide through peer pressure to leave. I I must admit, this has been an interesting journey over the last two years. And we're coming out the other end of it now. We're very focused. We've downsized. um, We've got a great bunch of executives in the company and uh, extremely focused on a certain part of the market that um, is, during COVID specifically, has boomed. And that is cybersecurity as a service. So if you're A small bank in the UK, Um, you have building societies over here, we have credit unions, and you can have a lot of staff, but you most probably don't have security expertise. So we come in as a service and offer that service to you as a a client and look after and make sure that you're stable and uh, secure. Now, um, that, that was happening slightly when I joined, but now we've grown this to 200 customers in the U.S., We're opening doors across Europe now. And then I found that one of the key attributes we had to to do was to get an establishment in Europe somewhere. So I moved the operation from India, from Hyderabad, closed that down, uh, last, back end of last year and moved those heads to Belfast. Uh, reason of Belfast is because there's technology expertise there for cyber. The people are wonderful to deal with and Invest Northern Ireland, who I, I, I teamed up with to start with, have been fantastic. So, again, focus, people, and, and that seems to be working as a great recipe for each company I've been in. Yeah, absolutely agree, And
1: and, you know, having been in the – Cyber world and the MSP world for for a while now. I think they call me a veteran now, which is a little bit worrying. Yeah, um, yeah. They, you know, the the talent that's coming out of Queens is just immense. So, what a great place to to set up shop. And I'm sure they're going to be an absolute credit to Sigilent. The last question I wanted to ask you in in this part of the podcast was: You've been in tech a number of years, and that's not no slight on your age, by the way, Rob. What do you think's the most exciting thing in our industry at the moment, or that you can see in that crystal ball that we
0: all pretend to have? I think, and I I had a discussion with a whole bunch of VCs, venture capital guys, last week. And in their opinion, there's so much money available in the industry right now, specifically in cyber and and software and cloud. It's a matter of how you position yourselves to take advantage of that. And the, the biggest move I see, if you remember the years of, you know, 99, 2000, with the internet boom, I think we're going through the same thing now in cybersecurity. There's over three and a half thousand companies listed as cybersecurity companies in software. So if you imagine that, there's got to be some major consolidation happen uh, soon, and that's really what happened in, in the big boom in the internet in those early years of networking. Yeah, uh, look, I absolutely
1: agree. I think I think you know the consolidation of VCs with a lot of the bigger names in. You know, the MSP world, like Tom Bravo and so forth, I think backs that, backs that statement up massively. And we see that we're not seeing a news release every, every month or every, you know, two months now. We're seeing a news release or an acquisition or an M&A announcement or whatever every day now, aren't we?
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. It's really it's, and, it's, and it's roll-up time. It's the position where companies um, have got a lot of money to spend. And if they find the right assets and put them together, that's a major advantage in this marketplace right now. Absolutely.
1: I couldn't agree more. Rob, that's awesome. Uh, it's such a great conversation to roll through your journey and and, and to share some of that with you. I, have, I, I like to finish off with three quickfire questions, sure. and they, they can be quick or they can be long. I'll call them quickfire anyway, but we, we spoke about the early days of being an apprentice footballer and, and the sporting side of things, but when you started in business, whether it be Formula One and negotiating your contract or getting what you're given, as you said, or going down the IBM route and then Motorola and so forth, what in your business now that you know would you like to have said to Rob Scott all those years ago when you started to get into your career? What do you know now that you wish you had
0: known back then? Um, Again, that's a great question. It's a tough question to ask. It is. Uh, I think it's having the knowledge now that I have, if I'd only had it when I was much younger, and I think – those scars I keep talking about, you know, the knives in the back that, that now I know where they're coming from. Then I didn't know. So you, you took it on the nose and you had to fight for it. I still think that happens now, but you're actually a bit more nimbler than, than I was many, many years ago. And again, going back to mentorship, I want to pass that on so that my family, uh, I mean, I've got five kids and my grandkids all understand and can always come to me and ask those questions. That's that's a really good one. So you're rolling with the punches
1: as opposed to taking it and getting knocked down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I I'd, I'd absolutely 100 percent agree. Especially over the last 12 months with with self, you know, uh, experiences and so forth. I think that is the best answer I've heard. So thank you for that. Is there a famous quote you like to talk to people about, or is there a mantra you live by?
0: Um, that's a great question. I would have loved to have thought about this a lot more. I think. Um, Nothing springs to mind because it's, it's a matter of, as I just said earlier, it's a matter of how you deal with people and how you expect them to deal with you. And, and I think that's so, so important. There's a lot of people out there that are out there for themselves uh, and, and self-esteem and ego. And I think in something like a startup, you leave that ego at the door because you can't do it all on your own. And I think you have, people have to remember that. It's the team you put around you that you bring with you And I say that now because I can talk, as we keep talking about Gary, Gary and I have known each other for over 35, 40 years. If you talk to any of the teams I have had with him, because he's been in every one with me, in principle, every one but two, I can go back and hire any of those people. And and I know they would jump through a window for me because I looked after them. And, you know, that's an important thing to me. I can hand on heart say I've looked after people along the way. I think that's fantastic.
1: And, and Gary, you know, yes, we speak about Gary. Gary's the same. I've worked for Gary now three times, and there's a reason for that. He trusts me and I trust him. Yeah. So uh, agreed. We've had a tough 12 months. And when I say tough 12 months, it's been a global pandemic. And, and most of us have never experienced anything like that in our careers. Is there something that you've learned in the past 12 months, even though you've got this vast, um, you know, book of experience? Is there anything in the past 12 months that will stay with you and be with you? When things return to normal?
0: Yeah, I think it's a great question because if you think about how much time I've spent on planes in the I don't know the last forty five years, ninety five percent of my time's been on an aircraft somewhere. And look at what happened in March. I couldn't get on a plane. I wasn't allowed to. And what I've become is very disciplined, very quickly about how many meetings I have a day, using technology and. I, th- I think we we, we we won't go back to going into the office every day or going to meetings in different countries all the time. We want to. And and having I mean, said that, I did go to London a couple of times in September, October, but I did catch COVID. I was actually uh, wow. out for 14 days with COVID. and And it's taught me now to think about how many meetings I can put in a day, how effective I can be. And you, if you do it as a CEO in a company, most members of your own company start doing the same thing. So we have regimented meetings every morning at eight o'clock East Eastern with my team to talk about churn. I'm I'm very concerned about losing customers, and and so on. So I do about eleven meetings a day on on Zoom and Teams, and I think that won't change. I think yes, uh, it's great to meet people. It's great to have lunch with somebody but I think I'll be restricted myself to how many of those meetings I have a month. So uh, I think we've all learned from this. Uh, it, it's it's an interesting time, but again, technology means everything. Oh, absolutely agree with you. I
1: I think, um, you know, gone are the days that you'll jump on a plane just for the sake of it now. I think, you know, I think those days will come back where we need to because I, I do miss that one-to-one, you know, that physical Meet and greet, networking, you know, I do miss that, but I completely agree with you. I think I'm so much more productive now. If I ask for a Teams meeting or a Zoom meeting, it means you're on camera, you're dressed, you're washed, you're professional looking, and it's as if we're in the same room. You know, if I want a conference call, I'll ring you. And I, I think that's fantastic. I think that's a really good tip. Rob, I could sit here all day and speak to you, but that means you wouldn't have your 11 meetings for the day. So, i want to I want to very much thank you for your time. You know we've been around each other in business for probably a decade, but we've never actually spoken directly right which is which is mad, which is absolutely mad. but i've I've really enjoyed speaking to you today. I think your story is immensely inspiring. I think it's of someone that just has a focus and and just has a determination to succeed not only for yourself, but for the family and the people around you. Would that be right? I absolutely agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. Been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much, Rob. Well, that's the end of another Vanguard podcast. And my thanks to Rob for sparing me the time and in being such a fantastic guest. I really appreciate you giving up an hour of your extremely busy day, Rob, and speaking with me and sharing the journey you had from Manchester, Italy and beyond. You know, for me, the story is all about dreams and making the most of an opportunity or talent you have to pursue something that you love or just taking a chance and seeing where it takes you. It's all about the importance of mentors, networking and putting good people around you, which makes the magic happen. And with focus and teamwork, you can all achieve your goals. Thanks again, Rob. And I wish you and Sigilent well for 2021. My next guest is a co-founder and publisher of a magazine with over 20,000 readers, along with being an event organiser and a thought leader in his field, where he helps equip social housing providers with the tech resources and information to improve their tenants' lives. In his spare time, he's also a racing driver in the BRSCC Mazda MX-5 Super Series. Look out for the next episode of the Vanguard Podcast and remember, take care, stay safe and keep on innovating.